One of the interesting things about the Ukraine example now is before this global event happened where, where Russia decided to invade Ukraine, they had an extremely sophisticated crypto network and they have a department of digital transformation that is in the cabinet. They've been able to more uh, directly transfer assets to support a war effort overnight, right? In a way where things like the Red Cross or, or whatever type of like aid organization certainly cannot do. Right, welcome to another episode of Built on Web3. Our guest on the show today is Megan Nab, the co-founder and CEO of Franklin Payroll, which is a hybrid cash and payroll, cash and crypto payroll system. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So we start off most interviews just kind of talking about Web3 in general, and uh, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Everyone has their own definition. So I'm curious, what does Web3 mean to you? Oh, man, a tough question right off the bat. We're starting um, off right with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, there recently I saw on Twitter maybe two weeks ago this notion of like rebranding Web3 into Web+. Plus. And okay. I like how we as an industry try to constantly reinvent ourselves <laughs> and rebrand things and create DeFi products that look very similar to things that have existed on Wall Street for decades um, but I think the ethos of web three or, or this notion of perhaps a rebrand to web plus is this idea that our infrastructure for, for the internet and, and just how organizations interact with each other is going through a renaissance, right? And that means lots of different things, um, in my corner of the world, I think a lot about financial operations, um, and accounting. And so Web3 has a very specific set of factors in that environment um, of like, how do you rethink some of these organizational structures, some of the incentivization structures uh, and the technology. Um, but it could mean something quite different, right, to, to people in the art world, as an example, or who mm -hmm. uh, work in legal contracts or, or, you know, many other examples. So um I think that's what I would say off the bat, but I'm kind of curious, how do you guys define Web3? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy talking to so many people, like you said, like if you talk to an artist, it means something totally different than if, you know, talking to someone like you who's in pay a payroll company. Mm -hmm. um, so the way we kind of boil it down is that like the, the main thing that's kind of common across all of it is that you can now own things digitally. That's like the main thing that is, you know, common across pretty much everything in Web3 is that mm -hmm. all of a sudden we can prove this ownership. Um, and with that comes, you know, decentralization and all of the all of the things that are involved with Web3. So um, how yeah. has Web Plus or Web3, I like this, we'll have to change the name of the podcast, <laughs> Thomas, built on Web Plus. I don't think it's taken oh, off we're, yet. We're, 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 yeah. we're being an early trendsetter, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So how I'm curious how um, so how are you thinking about Web three then in your corner of accounting and payroll like how does that affect a business like that? Yeah, so a couple thoughts about this notion of Web three being perhaps like a new primitive for digital ownership, which which I like that definition a lot. Um, I think actually a little bit about equities brokerage in the United States. So I you know in a past life used to work at an equities broker. 
And in fact, like all stocks in the United States are, you know, you can get a stock certificate issued, but they are natively digital. And you actually yourself never own a stock directly. You own a claim to a claim to a claim to a claim on a stock. And that stock actually sits um, at, you know, these regulatory bodies, DTCC and NSCC, you know, things that nobody, nobody knows, nobody cares. Right. But, but when you explain some of that kind of that concept of like, you only own a claim and there are many intermediaries that are charging you along that value chain to access your asset uh, or provide you with tax information on your asset, something there seems wrong. So, so yeah, rethinking a, a sort of primitive for, for what does digital ownership mean? Like digital, you know, you digitally own stocks now, but, but you don't really own them. Um, so, so that's an idea I kind of like and just sort of spitballing there. Um, for me, Personally and professionally, um, I learned about Ethereum a couple of years ago when I was in business school, uh, studying accounting, not the most flashy or exciting place, I suppose, to learn about it. And to me, it just seemed like the tool that could be used to create open source accounting standards uh, in, in on Wall Street. Um, and this is something that I was pretty passionate about because I have just experienced some, um, perhaps like not responsible financial management um, at, at some firms that I'd worked at in the past. And so the idea that you can create a new standard and also just be able to enforce accountability was something that was really attractive to me. And so I've been toying around with different crypto accounting system type aspects for, for the past couple of years. Um, and, you know, most recently with payroll, which is, is a very exciting industry to me. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, is kind of the idea that you'd take, so I, I was an accounting major for the first year of college. I quickly oh got God. out of there, but. So, well, I'm not, I, I was only for a year. I, I got out of that pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So are you, are you kind of thinking, or is this being built currently? It's like the, the I think it's general accepted accounting principles gap, just mm -hmm. that except open source and on a public ledger? Yeah. So there have been, I think, a few different sort of like thought iterations of what accounting could mean in Web3. Back in like 2016, 2017, this notion from the early 90s became like kind of in vogue about triple entry accounting, where you use a digital signature as like a third entry. Um, and that, you know, somehow fancily like verifies the other entries, um, which is kind of more of like academic really than practical. Um, the reality of the situation in the United States and, and in international accounting standards is that policies change so slowly. Um, and policies are also not tied directly to technology, their principles. Uh, and so, so that was one sort of like body of thought around it. There were some early projects out of consensus that worked on triple entry accounting to, you know, uh, mixed results. Um, I think that some of it is, yeah, technology principle based, um, and some of it is just practically based. And we're in this weird sort of environment in with crypto assets of how do you fit a you know a round peg into a square hole. And so part of the exciting part about building technology in this industry in general is is figuring out how to mesh these two things together. If you had to pinpoint, um, and Sean and I had a a, a really great. Uh, discussion earlier today with um, like one of like a mentor of ours 
um, frustratingly, he was not in the Web3 camp. Um, and mm-hmm. we really struggled to explain what that, like, what the real like benefit was to, he, he was really good at shooting us down at every single example we'd come up with. In your particular situation right here with accounting, why is, why are you so much well, ver- or like, why are you so much well, uh, better positioned to tackle accounting with Web3 versus what we currently have with Web2? Yeah, for sure. And to that you know, mentor, uh, I think that that is the type of person that many of us in this industry have encountered like many times before, and perhaps like sit at the Thanksgiving table with and try and justify our, our existence to. Um, and something I think about that, that kind of mentality is that, uh, you know, like they're not always wrong, right? Like for somebody who's kind of on the periphery or passing by, or just reads these headlines, like there's some pretty seedy stuff that goes on and like, it's not okay. And we shouldn't feel like we should validate that for the sake of just creating more legitimacy in this industry. Like we should call out bad things when they happen. So, so I have some empathy for, for that. Um, you know, for accounting, um, there, we can point to like many different examples and to, to offer one, uh, that doesn't seem that sexy or innovative for people who have been working in this industry, but because it's been around for a while is just like, payments, right? And remittances and the advent of a digital dollar or digital fiat currencies. Our financial system is fairly exclusive. Uh, so it's can be hard to enter for those who don't already have assets or may struggle with sort of core pieces of their um, sort of like identity profile. So I know you're talking with Evan McMullen, the founder at Disco, about what that means as a society. Like that is something that Web3 has the ability to sort of open up uh, into in a, in a unique way and grant access to, but also just, you know, paying people like, let me Venmo you $500, right. That that's, that's a fairly recent innovation in terms of like creating digital wallets, but there's so much financial infrastructure that sits behind those applications and, you know, having a direct financial relationship or a peer-to-peer, a truly peer-to-peer transaction is only possible, right, in fiat, right, if I take a dollar and give it to you. And that kind of concept should be available to us digitally. We should be able to eliminate all of the middlemen that are taking a little cut of it along the way and um, have it be more accessible. So, we've talked a lot about payments uh, as an industry uh, and as a society, certainly, since the Bitcoin white paper came out, right? And we, from a technology perspective, I think just financial transformation takes a really long time, especially when you're looking at the plumbing of the financial system. Uh, Lots of examples that we we could point to there. Uh, But I think it's particularly apt for for the accounting, the tax world, payroll world, um, just being able to more effectively and cheaply uh, move money from A to B and create value. Um, So that's what I would say there. And Somebody can say, well, who cares? Like, I don't care about my money sitting at Bank of America. And maybe you should, you know, you're getting charged for them to be holding your cash. You're not making any interest over it. You are limited on the amount of money that you can withdraw from your debit cards. Mm -hmm. Like, why do we accept that? And we accept it because it's a standard, but there's not really good reason, I think, anymore with the advent of this kind of technology um, to to accept that. So that's what I would say there as a... A quick, uh, a quick response or a long-winded quick response. Um, one thing I think about this example that I love of financial transformation and how long it takes is 
when we went through the financial crisis in, in the United States, um, FINRA and the SEC, they came up with all of these new reporting standards for uh, brokers that would uh, sort of more accurately disclose the positions that they have and how like the, the assets are moving through the system and mm-hmm. who do they truly belong to. And when I got to the equities broker that I was working at in 2020, 2019, 2020, like this reporting was my, was one of the things that I worked on and it's, you know, 12 years later Mm -hmm. and it's still not even a standard. And so it's, it's a testament to bureaucracy, right? We, it's a double-edged sword having one of the most sophisticated capital markets, regulatory infrastructures, uh, where you move extremely slowly in many cases. Um, and you know, are you protecting the consumer properly? Are you creating competitive markets? Like in, in many ways, sometimes no. Um, so, yeah. When, so I, so I agree. And, and Sean and I try to like explain those benefits because you're all, you are right. When you have your money at bank of America or chase or something, you're making pennies on the dollar or compared to like what you could in some sort of other like interest, uh, appreciating like uh, vehicle. Um, and you don't have as much control. You have these like bank standards, uh, that you have to like kind of be forced upon because that's like the standard of the industry. Um, the inverse of that and what web three solves is that they eliminate a lot of those, but the, I guess the pinpoint is, and kind of the crux is, is eliminating those, um, kind of small things, uh, those small benefits. Is it significant enough to justify doing it in such a novel way? Cause I feel like that's what a lot mm-hmm. of people have skepticism towards. Right. Is it like, yes, right. it's cool, but is it like, is it, does it really yeah. make a difference? Well, let me tell another story, um, which is actually not my story. It's the story of uh, one of the team members at Franklin who she grew up in Ukraine uh, and her and her family went through multiple financial crises where there are these very sort of like traditionally stereotypical bank runs where literally people are lined up outside of banks to withdraw cash. They tried digitally you know, transmitting money between family members into different bank accounts to be able to maximize the amount that can be withdrawn. And, you know, savings got wiped out in in the story that she tells about her family, um, you know, multiple times in one generation. And one of the interesting things about the Ukraine example now is like before this sort of global event happened where where Russia decided to invade Ukraine, they had an extremely sophisticated, actually, like crypto network. And they have a department of digital transformation that is in the cabinet. And so, you know, to there are plenty of examples, right, that we can tell anecdotally, but also like, you know, looking at organizations that have been formed, they've been able to more uh, directly transfer assets to support a war effort overnight, right? In a way where things like, you know, the Red Cross or, or whatever type of like aid organization certainly cannot do, and they have much higher overhead. So for the average person living in, you know, New York or wherever, where you're fairly well off financially, and you have the luxury of being able to pay for an inconvenience that you may not notice. I get it. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's not that interesting to you because you've never really, um, experienced what, a like financial implosion looks like. Right. And you haven't experienced that personally. And that that's a good thing. Right. But we know it happens and it happens in many places. 
Um, and in the United States too, we came dangerously close to that, you know, uh, uh, like 15 years ago or yeah. whatever it was. And the scary thing about technology, but also, you know, finance in general is that it comes down to just people. Like we're all just people and we all have like good and bad in us. We all have the ability to make good decisions and bad decisions. And we can certainly debate about whether the decisions that were made during the financial crisis were correct or not. I think that many people suffered, perhaps many more people would have suffered financially, but we came so close to, to something very, very uncomfortable for us in the Western world. And so should we accept that as something that we, when we get to this breaking point, it's down to like a couple of people who work at the treasury department to, to decide our fate? Um, I think, no, I think that we should say that that's unacceptable. And we can look at other instances of just more plain vanilla corruption, right? FTX in our industry is the most recent one where they replicated something that you know, we've seen many times at Enron, at Tyco, at WorldCom, right? Like as a student of classical accounting fraud, like seeing FTX <laughs> happen in our industry was just heartbreaking because we've seen it so many times before. And even the Enron liquidator was like, this is just a classic embezzlement from an accounting fraud perspective. It's like <laughs> as basic as it goes. So it's it's on us, right? The builders in this ecosystem to make sure that we're not replicating these sort of messed up power structures that exist in other instances. And to also tell that story of like, why does this matter? It doesn't matter for you personally. It can matter for many others. And that that's a worthwhile thing. Um, so that's what mm -hmm. I would say there. Yeah, I, I, that reminded me of a, I think it was a TikTok clip that I saw today, and it was a senator asking questions to Gary Gensler. Um, and I, I, I honestly don't know what the hearing was or if this was mm -hmm. recent, but I think this was recent. And because Gary Gensler had basically said that all crypto is a security, that this is his, his blanket statement is that everything is a security. Mm -hmm. And the senator was actually asking a, really, a pretty poignant question, and he was saying, um, he was like, well, if if these stable coins that are just pegged to the dollar, you know, they're not supposed to appreciate, like that, that fails the test immediately. How can you possibly say that these are securities? And he, mm -hmm. he dodged the question. Mm -hmm. But I guess what I'm getting to is like, do you like you're in this this world pretty deeply? Like, are you paying attention to what Gary Gensler is saying? Is it scare you or are you hopeful? Um. I'm certainly paying attention, uh, and I pay attention more out of like nerdy intellectual curiosity than like fear, uh, which is like, you know, I like arguing the merits of like whether something passes, like, you know, we've had the Howey test, we've all talked about it so many times, or like the Reed test, or all these other sorts of like principles that exist to how, how to classify assets and how they should be um, categorized and treated. You know, I think that weirdly, it makes me excited because as I got into this industry in 2016, there was nobody paying attention, right? There was a couple of people at Consensus that had cut deals with Microsoft that um, was the most exciting thing that was happening. And so, you know, I think like to get to the right place, you need some pretty fierce adversaries. And so what is not good? What is not good is like not thinking through these issues deeply and having like a political agenda. And so that's kind of what I ever get concerned, what I get concerned about. Um, and the SEC in itself is like a very interesting body in that 
there is a chairman, right? But there is like a body of commissioners as well um, that all contribute to policymaking and they are distributed politically, or at least they should be uh, theoretically. And so it's, it doesn't look that different, honestly, than a DAO to me, right? Where there's a different, <laughs> you have a communal based committee generating ideas. You have maybe one leader that's that's really committed to the DAO that's going to push yeah. things through. And so Again, so all DAO. they're missing is a Discord. <laughs> yeah, all they're missing is a Discord, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I hope they I have one just out of spite. <laughs> yeah, I know. I now I can see. Yeah, if I were to Google it or just troll through Discord, uh, there's probably uh, a Gensler DAO out there that's sh- shared a bank a account is just uh, a couple flat. trillion dollars. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, look, I think that also it may be like a controversial take, but some of the discussion most recently around like BUSD does seem a little bit reasonable to me. Um, and it, we should be holding ourselves to the highest standards so that we ourselves as our, as the industry are making sure that the FTXs of the world or, or the Terra Lunas of the world don't happen again. Um, but you also have to be able to accept that from, from people who, who are on the periphery that have a, an interest in maybe like being the regulator for crypto. Um, so, you know, yeah. if we're really building something that's robust, we need to be able to answer those questions. Um, and then that makes me also think a little bit about this common frustration that that a lot of crypto founders have of, we don't have any rules, right? Like you, we were told to come into the SEC and, and talk about it. And then, you know, $5 million later in three years, we still can't build our product because we spent so much on lawyers and we still have no guidance. Like that's a legitimate concern. To me, the inverse of that is... Then we have proactive regulatory policies. Like this, this space moves so fast. There's no way that a regulator can can conceivably keep up unless they themselves are the ones building the tech. And that's that's certainly not the right answer either. So well, you know, it's, and it's that's not what great you have. Because- that's what happened in New York City, to, or like in the state of New York as well, right? Um, where they imposed the rules of like it, it just became like a ghost town from like a crypto perspective because. Yeah, they created these rules yeah. and they basically ceased any competition to like start there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the bit license being that early piece of legislation, um, you know, was put out by somebody who then very promptly quit and now consults and makes a very healthy living yeah. for helping was... companies get through this impossible application process. Yep. So that to me doesn't seem like the right answer for sure. And it certainly did stifle um, yeah, innovation in, in this like little mini jurisdiction of New York. Um, yeah, I agree. Not great. Don't you think that that is, so people are like, ah, that's like, that is so bad, but we found just one solo, maybe it was a little bit more than a solo actor, but, um, that happens in today's world in accounting nonstop. Like who are the people that are lobbying for complex tax structures and all this other stuff? It's just all the big accounting mm-hmm. firms too, because the more complex it yeah. is, the more they're like, and yeah, you know, necessary. So do you think they will resist the transition to web three because they kind of lose a lot of their power? Cause all of a sudden they can, like, if you own all your accounting, it's super transparent. It, it's not as complicated yeah. anymore. Right. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with that. And like myself as an accounting entrepreneur, right, I have conflict about products that we build versus, you know, for what is the right thing to build that is in the Web3 ethos versus how do we make money, right? And so like these are things that everybody, right, in this industry is trying to uh, reconcile in their minds. 
you know, I think one story is that, you know, we can look at Intuit in the Web2 world as one of the biggest lobbyers uh, in Congress to make sure that tax filings stay not free. So, right, the IRS really has all of our wage information for the most part. Employers report it to them on at least a quarterly basis. There's no good reason for for me as an individual to say, okay, let me upload my tax form that the government sent me and pay $300 to TurboTax, right, to tell, give me a guess and then it's not even right and then they owe me $400 that I get at a year later. Like, why do we go through this? You know, like there's, this is like classic example. And the answer is, you know, Intuit has spent a lot of money to make sure that their huge product line in TurboTax um, continues to be profitable for them. And so we see it in the crypto world as well, right? Where some of the biggest companies in this industry are accounting and tax companies. It's the most common refrain among people who work or trade crypto is like, oh, my taxes. I just like paid whatever tax preparer a zillion dollars to get rid of the headache. You know, that is certainly like not a good option. And um, you know, how do we think about that in building products, right? Uh, in this is something we thought a lot about at Franklin. So at Franklin, we want entrepreneurs to be able to operate their businesses natively in Web3. Um, if you're working uh, on, if you're deploying smart contracts, if you're using cryptocurrencies, you should be able to use them to pay your staff too, and we can help you do it in a tax-compliant manner. And so how are we a little bit different maybe than others that have tried this? Like we're non-custodial, so there's no middleman between you as an employer and you as a worker on the crypto side. So everything is custodied and it's directly settled. And this is like a cool use case for like just generally like why is crypto interesting at all, right? We can instantly settle funds, right? There's no reason to wait two weeks to get paid if the employer doesn't want to do that or if you don't want to get paid that way. You mm -hmm. can get paid every day um, and you can have that transaction happen without having to have a massive headache at the end of the year. Um, it's not rocket science, you know? And mm -hmm. so I think that maybe it's interesting for us because we were at this uh, early stage in the industry where I happen to have an accounting background and think that this is a good problem to solve and, you know, care about trying to solve it in the right way. Um, so that's one example of what I would say there. It is who who's your like biggest competitor in the web two world? Like, would it be like Gusto maybe being like yeah. a startup? So how do you compare Like, why are, well, how is Franklin so much better than Gusto? Uh, and I, yeah. it sounds like instant, like pay or like funds settled is a, a great one, but what other benefits are there? Yeah. So it's, it's hilarious, honestly, thinking about it because we, we raised a round of funding. We have fantastic investors that invested in us during like some really ugly market things going on. And it's a testament to them that they still believe in this environment and um, all that good stuff. But talking to them, you know, we were talking a lot about like, what is the future of payments and payroll look like? And is that streaming? Is that other types of like Web3 primitives? Um, and then, you know, on the other side of our fundraise, talking to customers and people who just want to use it, it's a much a different conversation of like being on the ground I need to have this filing done. Like, I don't know what to do. Uh, and, you know, just can you can you help, you know? Uh, so it's just a hilarious, like, dissonance there. Um, but, yeah, I think that, like, the, the web, too, like, when you're getting your initial seed funding in the door, chances are you're signing up for Gusto because it's cheap and it's easy. Um, it, there's some, like, 
skill level, right, that is attainable to pick up after a while of like how to actually use it. But it's a little terrifying because there's so many boxes to click. You don't know, like every state has a different word for like what their tax rate is. So many boxes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right. And so you're going through this big like bean counting exercise in a software that's supposed to be helping you. And you're not even really getting done what you want to get done. Uh, And so at Franklin, you know, there's the very base level of just having a better user experience, you know, and having like a cohesive user experience between cash and crypto where you don't have to maintain two separate systems, right? It can all be in one. Um, And, you know, uh, I think that there's lots of other sort of minutia that we could think about, like batch processing, batch processing, multi-currency, batch processing, multi-currency and USD all at the same time. Um, You don't have to upload a CSV. You don't have to send out a zillion transactions. You don't have to have every single multi-sig holder sign off on every single payment. And so these are innovations that I think we haven't maybe had to have as much in the early days because we've had traditionally like kind of small companies or companies that have grown that have just outsourced everything to a very expensive accounting firm. But we need these tools as Web3 operators to be able to scale our businesses and really like prove out our use cases. And so that's our motivation. You know, I think uh, I had this big sort of like personal uh, uh, struggle when I first got into Web3, which is that I'm not an engineer. I don't understand a lot of this technology. Like, I don't really want to code myself. Like, I don't really know what, I, you know. Um, and so my passion is like figuring out, I understand accounting. <laughs> like, can we generalize that knowledge to be able to help the builders build? Mm-hmm. So Thomas and I run a, a traditional Web2 agency, um, cool. I guess, as our day jobs. Um, so we are very intimately familiar with Gusto. Yeah. And Gusto takes care of a lot. Like it does a lot of things that I feel like we're pretty locked in. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to imagine like what what would entice me to switch to something like Franklin. Okay, I feel like I we just moved from podcast into client pitch. Like, let me tell you. Let's go. Why. Let's um, go. <laughs> so, you know, uh, the unfortunate answer is that switching payroll providers is like a little bit of an ordeal. Uh, and venture investors love investing in payroll companies because it's very sticky, right? Once you get a user or a customer, they will stay with you. And so in this particular industry... There are times of years that make better sense to switch than others, right? One is if you're offering your team health insurance and you're going through a health benefit renewal period, that's a good time. <laughs> like you can migrate all of your data. Um, I think that they, you know, the real question is like, are you going to be getting all the same features and are you getting them at a better price? Um, and then, you know, hopefully that that kind of like transition is worthwhile. Something that we have success in, just like as we pitch customers, is look, you're using a Gnosis safe to send all your crypto. You have an accountant that will manually put all that stuff into your QuickBooks. And then you have W2 employees, and then you have other contractors. And so like, eliminate all four of those disseparate systems and consolidate it into one, you know? Uh, and that has so far been like an attractive use case, but you know, it's not like it happens like that. It's, it's a little bit of work to make it, to optimize it. Mm-hmm. Do you... Um, are- is your go-to-market to try to switch companies that are already locked into Gusto um, into Franklin, or is it just easier to to onboard new companies that that are just looking for their first payroll system? 
It's both and. So uh, we certainly, so we launched in September. We've been uh, alive formally in production for a couple months. Uh, like our core customer base is like, we're their first payroll software, you know, and that is like cool. such a sweet spot to be in because it's so fun to work with entrepreneurs yep. at an early stage. Um, but uh, from a business perspective for us and from a growth perspective, like we definitely want to be taking away market share for some from some of these Web2 holdouts. Uh, and so... Um, you know, we're in the early days as a company, like I'm pretty bullish on our use case, but, but yeah, that's the sort of, uh, core goal there. And I think that that idea of like, let's not use five different tools to manage everything, you know, uh, what you can consolidate it into one and you can also do it in a way that doesn't compromise on, on, you know, the custody of your crypto is pretty, pretty cool. Uh, we, in a previous episode, we were talking with someone, I can't remember where uh, or what, but um, it was kind of this concept that like uh, brands go where consumers go. And in this case, it's kind of like companies mm-hmm. go where like, uh, where, where their like end user, where their you know, clients are, um, mm-hmm. um, are, are going to be. What do you think is going to happen? And like, as payroll changes, do you think that we're going to see a shift with kind of these like more tech focused jobs uh, adopting more web3 kind of payment solutions or do you think it's going to be a, a little bit more on the like entry level type jobs or lower paying because a lot of these solutions that exist today for like instant settlement and so forth tend to be like lower paying than higher paying so it's just kind of curious to see what do you think is going to entice them more cuz this could be like a cool employer almost benefit yeah, I think that, um, yeah, lo- lots of thoughts here. So like one thing is that some Web2 large payroll companies will provide you with instant settlement, but they will charge you a lot for it. And essentially, you have a complex loan relationship with them, which is actually like kind of difficult to manage. And if you miss something, it becomes extremely expensive for you to facilitate. Yep. And so there's a lot of pressure for normal businesses that are not like web three businesses. So as an example, nursing staffing companies, right? They get paid via like a paper check, um, every month and they have to like wait for that check to get there. Somebody has got to go pick it up at the mailbox. (laughs) Then they have to deposit it and wait for it to clear. There's so much time pressure there because you have to use that cash to pay your staff. And so this is not a web three business, right? This is like a normal thing. Um, but it is almost like the, like a prime use case for like, how does this technology actually like make an impact outside of our like white collar worker web three, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like bubble perhaps that we operate in. And so, you know, there are lots of things to think about and there's one niche of like payroll. How do you facilitate that in a compliant experience? Like that's one thing. Another thing is on and off ramps. Another thing is custody. Right. And so what's exciting about web three in 2023 is like all of these pieces are here, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to go and sit and like have a developer develop a code library for a year, right? Like a a lot of this stuff is there. And so it's just about piecing it together. With transactions happening faster and you kind of said like you can be paid almost daily. um, Do you think the two week payroll like cycle is dead with web three? I, well, okay. I want it to be dead. Uh, is it dead? Not yet. Uh, and there are a couple of reasons why I think that conceptually it makes sense, right? Your workers are giving you a, at least like a two week loan on their time. 
right, where they are not gaining interest for that loan at all. And it is just, again, one of these things that we accept because it's become a standard. Um, the flip side of it on the employer side is either you're locking capital uh, that you don't need to be locking in advance, right? or you're actively managing a payroll treasury, which is something that you normally don't have to actively manage, like a trading strategy. And so, you know, there are, there are some things out there that like, you know, are starting to scratch the surface of this. Um, but conceptually, we know what is possible. Um, and it is sort of prudent upon like innovative companies that wanna like really incentivize their staff properly to, to kind of like compete at that level. I think that we also see part of this with um, just like managing your team a little bit more tightly. Like there's this human resource side of it, which is if you pay somebody today, will they show up to keep doing their job tomorrow? You know, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, I think that that is much less of a concern now in the remote working world that we have today. Um, but yeah, it's just about changing standards and, you know, the technology's there. It's just like, is the willpower there? Um, and I think, yes, but I think it take, it's a trend. It'll take a while to, to manifest itself. And you need like, Franklin is a small company, right? We're a couple months old. Like you need some, we either need to become extremely large or we need some extremely large players to start adopting this technology. And so that I think will be the real sort of like hinging point where, where we see real change there. Mm -hmm. uh, besides the the obvious, like, you know, quick payments and quick settlements, what are some of the other benefits of using crypto as payroll? Like, why, why would a Web2 company like that doesn't operate in crypto, why would they want to start paying in crypto? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that uh, there's like a lot of research out there about younger working generations. So, you know, myself as part of the millennial generation, there's a statistic out there that says 33% of millennials would like exposure to crypto assets and the percentage for Gen Z workers is much higher. And that means different things, right? So one thing is stable coins, right? Faster, US denominated, you can pay people outside of the United States and give them exposure to USD assets, like that's exciting. And you can do it much more cheaply and whatever, quicker. Another thing is just like having exposure to crypto assets, right, outside of just stable coins. And what does that look like as part of a full kind of like attractive compensation package? One thing that we will be announcing soon is uh, integration with a 401k provider where you can get tax advantage crypto uh, as part of your retirement account. Like that's very cool. Um, and it's something that's much more accessible to your sort of average American or whatever worker. Um, to just have exposure to that kind of asset class in a tax compliant manner. Um, so, you know, lots of layers there. We're probably far away from like having a totally, you know, USDC or whatever other stablecoin based economy. And so part of it is like, okay, for the people that operate in this economy already, can we service them? For people that want cool. exposure to this economy from a back office infrastructure side to facilitate just better services, can we service that? And then for people that want, you know, some juicy benefits, right? That that are crypto denominated. We can do that too. You know, so there's a lot, lots of options out there. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Uh, before you said that you you're not a developer, um, but you're uh, an accounting fanatic and Web three fanatic. Um, talk to us about how you got in this space and what what it's like building a Web three company as a non technical person. Yeah. So. Uh, 
to rewind back to Christmas time, 2015, I was doing my homework uh, on the weekend. <laughs> so I was working full time uh, uh, at Wall Street, you know, staff accountant job, going to get my MBA at night. I would sit at a cafe on the weekends all weekend and do my homework. And one day some guy was like, you know, there's an Ethereum startup behind the cafe. And it was consensus. And they took me through like the bathroom or something like that into the back. And they were like, this is going to change the world. And so there's some like rock star weird thing about living in Bushwick, Brooklyn and having this experience where I was like, this is very exciting. And a parallel experience of like, oh, I'm, I've learned about Ethereum in business school. And oh, I think I read about it in The Economist. And oh, hey, I've just seen this sort of corporate corruption happen at my job. And so like a bunch of confluencing factors um, that just, you know, really resonated with me at the time. And then to be honest, like a, a sort of like more personal journey of just like feeling pretty beaten down by working on Wall Street and just feeling like, you know, I was the youngest person at my job by a lot. So I was, I graduated college early. I was 21. I was like the only female there, you know, and then coming into this Web3 world or, or Ethereum world really then, um, what was exciting to me personally about that was this sort of premium that was put on ideas. And I didn't have to have had like an Ivy League degree or a bunch of letters after my signature block in my email to be able to participate and, and learn. And so um, that's that's sort of how I got into it uh, and, you know, made some pretty radical life choices to quit my job, to drop out of business school, to uh, I went to DevCon in Shanghai and just like sat in the back of the Hyatt in Shanghai trying to figure out like what was going on kind of by myself, <laughs> like thinking they're like, this is so cool. It's a lot above my head. I don't know anybody here. Um, but it was the beginning of something like really beautiful for me, like professionally and personally. And I think that it's a lot easier for people to get into this industry. And, you know, I think with the NFT hype of 2021, um, there was a big sort of movement of talent, right? And whether or not like they, you know, those people that came into the industry at that point were coming in because of like the value of like what an NFT was or because of the sort of like cultural environment or because they just were exhausted by like their daily day to day, like all of those are good reasons uh, to experiment here. And this industry is like really open, I think, to lots of ideas. Um, and hopefully, you know, we're building a community that where the best ideas end up winning. Um, whereas, you know, that may not be the case in, in other sorts of verticals of life. I had, um, I have a little bit of a tough question and I apologize to put you on the spot, okay. but b before I was thinking back to like the whole mm -hmm. significance and, and you shared a really, I love the, the story that you shared about like, well, in a country where there could be like a potential, like run on a bank. There is so much more for yeah. uh, people in those types of situations to benefit from Web3 than maybe like us here in the US, but not so much because we were also like on that edge. Um, could you quantify how much better like Web3 is um, if you compared it to like our traditional like system today, like, like percentage wise maybe? Um, because you, you can talk about the benefits and you can talk about the significance, but it's sometimes difficult to see like, well, what do lower fees actually cost? Like, like what benefit are we talking? Is it like 5% or like 50% or like, what, could you articulate that? Yeah. Well, let's see. I think that there are a bunch of different factors that we could try to isolate to evaluate 
but like from a like aggregate perspective, like what is the value is kind of hard to say because um, we just don't know what the future holds really. And so, you know, one thing I think about uh, that is like a stat that I have that's not totally wrong off the top of my head is for some of these digital wallet payments, you know, um, like Venmo's cash apps of the world, like they have a really nice UI and it's sitting in a mobile uh, phone, right, which is a big deal for for like, you know, the the global south, right? Um, to, to be able to have access to that kind of like um, assets in your pocket, they will charge upwards of like 1% or more, right? And so then the question becomes, are the fees associated with minting on chain or transacting on chain less than 1%? And is the user experience worth the, the sort of like differential in, in cost? And, you know, there are lots of ways for us to, or lots of sort of like factors that we could we could compare. So like, what does it cost to transact on Arbitrum versus mainnet Ethereum versus Polygon? Um, Polygon to me seems to be winning the race on in terms of price where it's extremely cheap. And I think that as like a dApp builder <laughs> myself, um, I think that there is this like sort of uh, standard emerging that we need to be paying for the gas fees for our users and it's just the cost of us doing business. And so, um, you know, I think that that's, that's, it's more of a question, I guess, than a, than a quote, but that's sort of how I would evaluate going, going about answering a question like that. And then, you know, what are the other sort of like fee structures out there, right? For equities, right? It's more than 1%. Uh, and there's this whole complicated thing about payment for order flow, which, you know, lots of, lots of things that happen behind the scenes, right? Um, that you don't really have transparency or understanding about all this like weird technical sort of like fee terminology and, and the incentive structures associated with that fee structure. So maybe another thing that is interesting is just having more transparency about like, what does it cost? Like, what does it actually cost? And so lots of things that I think about, like one, as, as a millennial living in Brooklyn, is that there's this trope that VCs have funded our millennial lifestyle, where they have incentivized like Uber and like other gig economy yeah. things to just like get users at any cost, right? And so maybe that's true, right? It's been nice for me going through my 20s and stuff, having a subsidized venture-backed lifestyle, I guess. Like, is that a sustainable business? Probably not. And the thing that actually scares me about that a lot is all these public companies that 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 IPO and they're full of debt. Like that's what's sitting in our retirement and pension accounts. You know, like that is bad. Um, so that's one thing. I suppose I would say there. Uh, it's complicated, right? It's hard to like put it into a nugget of like everything is going to be ten x better because maybe it's not, but maybe it could be. So it sounds like the benefits are. So we, there are some measurable benefits, and it, it kind of comes down to like transaction fees. Um, and some might say that it's a lot, some might say it's not. But then there's also these really hard to measure benefits, just like the transparency or the instant settlement and so forth, yeah. um, that maybe we can put a value on, but we can only find out if we actually keep on experimenting. Yeah. And you know, another example that I would point to is actually this fashion company called Everlane where they have like maybe more of a premium product, but on their clothing tags, they will tell you exactly where the, the clothing came from and what it cost along the way. And like, that's pretty trendy, I would say, but it did spark this movement in the larger fashion industry to be more transparent about your supply chain. And so like, let's take that principle and apply it to finance, right? Like, I think that there are those ripple on effects and like, 
do we need to get 100% of the way there? Do we need to reach 100% perfection, 100% transparency and zero cost? Probably not, right? (laughs) But, and like, especially on chains, like there are crypto economic incentives that are really important for the security of a public blockchain. Um, But can we get part of the way there? And can we influence other people to get part of the way there? Like that's, I think, a really worthwhile conversation to have and product to build. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, when when you started the company, was it just you or did you have people already in mind that you wanted to start the company with? And it was if it was just you, talk to about the, about that process of finding people to start a Web3 business, a Web3 native business with. Yeah, I think that starting Franklin was certainly almost like a community-based thing that happened where uh, it started at this fantastic company called Serotonin, which is the largest Web3 marketing agency out there. I was running finance there, right? I had this idea and they really nurtured it. Um, and wanted to see it succeed. And so um, that's that's one thing that happened in the idea incubation phase. And then on the execution phase, I had worked with this amazing team in my past life that you know we all shared a passion for for public chain technology. And fa- fascinating too, for me when I when I got to this equities brokerage, you know they had a pit on the New York Stock Exchange, right an office in Jersey City traders right on the floor and stuff like that. And everybody was talking about crypto. I was like, why is everybody at this equities brokerage talking about crypto? And so, um, you know, was super lucky that this fantastic uh, team and my co-founders, you know, um, were were ready to to make the move and um, we're excited about this kind of product idea as well. So that's kind of our genesis story. Uh, And then over the summer last year, we expanded our team. We have some amazing engineers and I think that um, everybody's motivated to solve this problem, and you know we have fun doing it. So, for for any listeners that might not be in Web three yet, that are, are kind of thinking about it, what would you recommend they do to kind of get into the space and learn more? Because it's a really intimidating, you know, when you're on the other side, it's really intimidating because there's. It's just so much to learn. Yeah. Well, Sean, get paid via Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a suggestion, which I feel like is kind of unpalatable, but it's what I did and it worked for me, which is Let's you, hear it. you sign up for Twitter like there and you really curate the hell out of your feed. So a lot of crypto conversations take place on Twitter and believe it or not, I've made some very good friends from having discussions on Twitter um, for years. And so there's a lot of noise as with any social media, but a lot of stuff in this industry happens on Twitter. And like, I think that you can, it's also a safe space where you can just kind of like listen rather than participate. So there's that. I would also say like, there is like, I feel like a proliferation of different affinity groups as well. So Black Girls Code has a uh, sort of coursework dedicated to to crypto and to learning solidity. Um, you know, there are many like women's oriented organizations like Shifi and Boys Club and things like that, which you know haven't been maybe the norm but exist now, and that's like a great on ramp for people who who maybe have like a little bit of a different background coming in. Um, and then you know, I think that it's it's sometimes hard to like access, but going to in-person events is like, it's really hard to be meeting somebody and having a great conversation in person. So that's what I would say there. Like there are so many materials out there, like rabbit hole, as an example, they have great sort of like 
Code Academy type classes to learn the basics. There's ETH Global where you could just go and kind of watch a hackathon, even if you don't want to participate. Like that's a great on-ramp. So many things, but I think the thing that's tough is like it does take work. Like these are not basic concepts, right? It kind of, you have, it's a little bit of a mind meld where you rethink a lot of what, what exists now and how could it be improved? And, and it's not like a casual, like, oh, let me read a book this weekend kind of thing. Uh, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I actually just got my first crypto book and mm-hmm. it was because of Twitter. I, I also signed up for Twitter begrudgingly. Um, but it's been it's been good. I, I need to figure out how to clean it up, though. It's like it's it's a mess right now. It's very noisy and very annoying. But I got my first book, what and is it? I think it's the oh, I think it's the Coinbase guy, Ben Armstrong, catching up to crypto. And it was recommended as like somebody had asked the question, like I'm trying to explain crypto to my family, and a bunch of people linked to this book. They just said just just give them this book and read it. So. Yeah. That's going to be my, my reading this weekend when I'm on the plane. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, at my old company, I got everybody copies of Digital Gold, which was the first crypto book that I had read about like Satoshi Nakamoto, you know, uh, which has like a little flair for drama. It's like less technical. So mm. it was an easy read. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's awesome. I also think like it's kind of cool. Like uh, Gitcoin, I think just released or will be releasing at ETH Denver, like a kid's coloring book and like. I got it oh, for I the kids in my life. Like they're going to learn about Ethereum early, you know, and they're going to do it. Through yeah. so, so, you know, lots of things out there. That's amazing. What, um, what other web three projects are, are you kind of excited about right now that you're, you're eyeing? Yeah, I think that there's a lot, um, you know, Oh, there, there's a lot <laughs> the, Yeah, to, to curate a few. Um, I have historically, the thing that makes me most nervous about, Web3 is data privacy. And so we have for years, I think, experimented with different types of projects out there. And there's, you know, in the next five years, I feel like ZK technology and like when you can use a ZK snark in a smart contract, like, oh my God, like that is life changing. Um, but we're not there yet. So that's I projects that work on in the ZK space, I'm always kind of keeping an eye on. Um, you know, I think that this what disco does with with identity is is also very very interesting um there's one company that i think is super underrated called makara which is very cool from a finance perspective where they're the first sec registered crypto robo advisor so you have access to a pretty sophisticated financial product in a compliant manner they just sold themselves to betterment um which is very cool it's oh, like nice. a way to inject crypto assets into 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 these sort of traditional, um, you know, financial products, which I'm passionate about just in my corner of the industry, but the coolest for sure is Franklin. So we, we, uh, Franklin sounds very cool. And we have to talk later about the 401k stuff because, um, we use, uh, gusto. I like to call it gusto. Um, uh, Gusto with with guideline, and um, we can't do four hundred one k stuff with crypto yet. But it would be really cool if we could, especially because yeah. Uh, so we have to talk about that. Um, I'm going to steal one of Sean's questions um, because he has an asked it. Yes, what do you think the on ramp is going to be for people becoming into like Web three and, and, and into crypto? Yeah, I think um, 
that that is like the question and like i think every entrepreneur should be asking themselves this question like why are you building a product if you're not really that focused on on figuring out how to do it and my answer is really like we should be injecting it into people's paychecks right like get it into the masses hands so like you want exposure to crypto assets let's put it in a 401k you want to get a bonus of eth let's do that and hey your employer we can do it for you in a tax compliant manner you don't have to worry about the paperwork on the back end right uh, or the manual processing or you want you're a contractor in uh, Argentina. You want exposure to the U.S. dollar. We can do that. Um, you're just like a normal, like you know, kind of run of the mill average dude like myself, and just want to have more crypto in your portfolio. We can do that too. And so you know, I think that in this particular side of the industry that we're in, there are a lot of people that are focused on one end of that spectrum. We'll build you a crypto payments tool that sits on top of a Gnosis multisig, whatever, not that interesting. We'll give you a custodial experience through Coinbase that requires a lot of paperwork and is pretty expensive. Not that interesting, right? Like, can we build a product that can reach both ends of the spectrum and everything in between? Like, I think yes. And I think that that is a really appealing way. And it's a way that it impacts people in their daily lives. And so like, that's what I'm very, very excited about. I think that we should be going back to basics as an industry with all these blowups that happened in the past year, like payments. This is a broken technology. We can fix it with the advent of stable coins and, and um, public chain technology, and we should be doing that. And so um, that's that's my own motivation. If if you achieve this, the, the vision you kind of just describe, described, yeah. and kind of fast forward five years, what does the world look like? Um, what, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. What does the world look like? (laughs) (laughs) What does the world look like if you've achieved, you know, the vision for Franklin? Yeah. You know, I had this very interesting conversation with a guy named Mark Lurie who runs uh, Shipyard and they they build DEXs. And one of the questions that he asked is, you know, kind of getting at this notion of like Web 2.5, right? (laughs) Of like, okay, you've got TradFi, you've got crypto and like crypto in itself is its own ecosystem. And like that is worthwhile. And like, why bother trying to bridge the in-between? And that's that's really where like I, I like being focused is like, how do we have Web3 primitives that are contextualized in this TradFi world? And so if, you know, I pulled out my crystal ball, that's what I would say. Like, you know, we have an economy that's a bit wider, right? Where more people are participating and you can probably be using stable coins a little bit more widely and there's a changing relationship between employer and employee where you have more of a direct financial relationship where it doesn't take five, 10 business days of ACH processing to split out all the payments. Um, and there's an expectation that workers don't need to be loaning their, their sort of like work capital um, interest-free for weeks. Um, you know, is that five years, 10 years, 20 years? That's, that's very hard to say, but I think it's the future. Yeah. And that, that just reminded me, like, my, oh my God. <laughs> That is reminding me, my, my girlfriend used to work for the, the state of Colorado and she got paid monthly. Like she just got a job yeah. in like the tech world for the first time and she's getting paid bi-weekly for the first time ever. And I was like, whoa, you got paid monthly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I have a good friend who he's a veterinarian and like their veterinary chain of hospitals, like just something went wrong and they didn't get paid for like a month and a half. And it was just the cost of doing business. Like 
these are not this, things that we should accept, you know, like not, that is not as an employee. That's like not your, no, like that, that's one of the I mean, there's, like reasons you are an employee versus like your own, like an entrepreneur is so that you have extra benefits like that. Right, um, yeah. So we, and I know we're like really, we're a little over time, but I have like a, a burning question here that I have to ask. Yeah. Um, uh, so we talked about like payment distribution to employees mm-hmm. and like the, how that like the two week pay cycle is probably going to be dead. What about the, the other side, like on the business side and invoices, mm-hmm. do you think we're going to get rid of like the net 30 too? Uh, cause all of a sudden, if we're going to be paying out money to our employees yes. on a daily There's basis, a can we be paid cash daily cash. too? You think that's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that, that is like exactly the right question to ask. And it's like, yeah, is there a closer alignment in in timing of cash flows? Um, you know, my first job was working at a law firm, and we sometimes wouldn't get paid by clients until like the end of the year. And so you're operating like a net negative cash basis, and you're just drawing down this revolving line Super of credit negative. until you. And it is terrifying, right, to be running that kind of business because you're at the mercy of banks, uh, and you know what if a client doesn't pay at the end of the year, which, which it happens, you know? And so, you know, I think the question here is, okay, how do we as entrepreneurs run profitable businesses? Part of it is like, can we speed up the timing of cash flows? Reality in, in many companies is, well, you have these complex supply chains that take time to move product and you need to receive the product and make sure that it's correct. And then you can issue payment. And so, all of this is just so juicy. It's so juicy, right? For Web3 technology to get in there and and try to to streamline. Um, I think that we do generally, uh, you know, certainly over like the past like five to ten years uh, in digital payments and in and in uh, equities, we've moved from T3 settlement to T2, and now like they're trying to settle stocks same day using digital ledger technology, right? Uh, now with like wa- digital wallet applications. The user experience is that money is moving much more instantly, even though there's a lot of shuffling going on in the back uh, between between financial institutions. And so, you know, I think that this is a concept, hopefully, that like ripples out beyond just payroll, uh, where you can have a more direct financial relationship with your customers, with your supply chains. And so, yeah, there is inevitably right like some mismatch though. And so, like, do you get paid every day? Do you get paid every block? Like maybe, maybe not. Maybe it works for some businesses, maybe not in others. And, you know, one of the cool things about operating a company in in this industry is like people kind of understand the problems. Right. And if you like, at least my team, right. Like we review our financials together. Like we talk through like the business environment. It's not like I'm hiding all of this financial data and sitting in a room stressing about it. Like being transparent about like your finances is part of the battle, right. And making people understand like, why do we have these kinds of transactions? And so, so yeah, I think that it, it's not going to work, right. If it doesn't ripple out on the other side of the coin too. So yeah, I agree. It's kind of funny seeing the like full circle that we're doing with Web3 or Web+. Uh, when you said Web2.5, I was like, ah, it's got to be Web2.3 or Web2+. Uh, but the, the full circle of like, I, I, like our identities used to be our own. Then they became uh, kind of a part of like the Web2 world. And now we're trying to reclaim them back again. Our financial mm-hmm. transactions used to just be cash. And then they mm-hmm. became digital and then got delayed again. And, that, and then the same thing with like, we used to be like solo and then we became like the cloud base and now we're coming back to it. It's cool to see that 
the same is happening for like digital transactions. Finally, they're not like we're bringing it back to like a cash type digital um, piece mm -hmm. uh, where we can interact instantly and settle instantly as opposed to just doing through this like weird credit card. Yeah, peer-to-peer peer -peer transactions. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Well, this hour flew by. Um, so thank you again, Megan, for being on the show. This is a lot of fun. Thank you for having me.